All right. We are live and we do this in person, folks, on the net, wherever you're catching this. My name is Ken M. I'm the host of the ODPH podcast, but I'm also the Nerd Initiative Comics Editor-in-Chief. To my right, I'll let him do his own intro because I can't do it enough justice. Coming live and direct straight from a folding chair in the ODPH studio, I am Off the Cuff Tom, your pop culture connoisseur, and we're talking some Batman with my friend over here from Hops Geek News, Matt. What's up, everybody, Tom? I have to wonder... It's the folding chair. Did you happen to get that in uh, Alabama by chance? Uh, no, it's, it's just that it happened to be here. <laughs> Usually it's a recliner in my living room, but uh, I have to make do where I go. Oh, man. Well, I am Matt from Hops Geek News. Thanks for hanging out. And tonight, I think we're talking something good tonight, gents, aren't we? We always talk something good here because we like to do something on this show that very few channels do, and that is turn a page. And what we like to do is bring you the latest in comics news, talk to creators, and deep dive into some of our favorite stories that we know you need to add to your collection. Tonight's pick, we're taking a trip to Gotham City and going to one of my favorite stories of all time, Batman Court of Owls by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. So sit back, relax, grab a book, and it's time to turn a page. Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. I absolutely love that Tom Jolu intro, so shout out to Mr. Marvelite for hooking that up. That's Tom Jolu's I'm Not Mad, I'm Just Disappointed. You definitely go find him on Spotify and wherever you listen to great music. And like we say, welcome to Turn a Page, where we talk comics like nobody else does here at the Nerd Initiative Bullpen. Each and every Tuesday, Wednesday, we're dropping reviews for you of great books that you need to have in your collection. But we'd like to take this time to really deep dive into some of our favorite stories. And like we alluded to, one of my personal favorite stories, which really made me become a certified Batman fan, is Court of Owls the legendary debut story from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. And I can gush about this story all time, all day, every day. But Tom, when you first picked up this story, what was your reaction to this? Well, I was familiar with Court of Owls and the other media. So I know it from, say, the video games. I know it from the Batman and Robin movie in the last uh, iteration. So to actually pick up and physically read the books, wow, wow. Wow. <laughs> and Matt, how about you? When you first picked up this story, what was your take on this? Man, so this story came at a time when I actually had... I was out of comic books for a while at this point. So when I picked this back up, it was at a an interesting point in my life. So when I grabbed it, I immediately... Just same reaction as Tom, man. I was immediately drawn in. They they just get Batman, you know? You know when you just pick something up and you just read in Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, they just they just understand the character, and it's very evident from the get-go. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to think about when they jumped in with this, and we have to remember, too, this is during the time of the New 52. So DC hit the reset button on everybody, except for Green Lantern and Batman, to be honest with you, because Jeff Johns was doing amazing work over there at Green Lantern. And then to throw Scott Snyder into this world. I mean, he's done a little bit of Batman, but he's been done a, a few other projects outside of here too. And teaming him with the legendary Greg Capullo, whose work, I mean, I've been reading his stuff since Quasar, to be honest with you, but X-Force, Spawn, and to see them come together and really put a fresh take on a hero that we have to remember has been around for so many years and to give it new life. I mean, it really just becomes so more impactful and especially being a flagship character of the DC Comics universe, they really want to come out of the gate swinging, and I fully think they did here. So as we're going to get into the story, we guess we got to get a quick breakdown here of how we do things here. What we like to do is we give you the synopsis of the story. So we are going to be talking spoilers. So if you haven't seen or read the story by now, we're giving you a fair warning. We'd like to deep dive into this. And what we'd like to do is take you on that journey through the story and talk about the stuff that we liked about it. Then we start breaking down about anything we didn't really like about the story. And then we give you a final grade before we send you off to New Comic Book Day with some great picks to go forward with. So that being said, where this kicks off is we debut in Gotham City, or in Arkham Asylum, actually, in one of the craziest scenes I have 
ever witnessed is Batman's fighting everybody in Arkham, but he has somebody that's being a tag team partner with him. So, Matt, when you saw this unfold, what was your reaction? I mean, it's pretty bold when you have the Joker and Batman fighting side by side. And so at that point, you just know, all right, there, we're, we're going to see some things that we're not accustomed to, right? It has that gritty Gotham feel, but we're right off the bat jumping in with Batman and Joker teaming up. All right, we're, we're in for a ride. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, I mean, how about you when you first opened these pages? I, I really was confused and wondered why this was happening um but i mean the enemy of my enemy i mean at the same time joker knows batman's moves he's probably the one who's well accustomed to getting on the other end of them so why not yeah that's one thing when they really want to make a splash out of the gate and like I say first impressions are everything especially when you're talking about one of the most iconic characters in all of comics let alone dc comics and get to them for all the images you see on the screen you really want to make that big splash. So when you're seeing Batman fight the rogues of rogues, and Capullo's art here is just so amazing of how he's demonstrating the fight, and let alone when you see the Joker team up with him. At first glance, you're like, what is going on here? But then it comes to find out that, well, not everything is what it seems, because as we start progressing through the story, we find out that somebody's day off was not exactly a day off, shall we say? Because who did the Joker turn out to be? None other than the one and only Dick Grayson. Nightwing. Nightwing. And one of the, you know, one of the unsung characteristics of their partnership throughout the years. I mean, it's obviously a father and son bond, but you can definitely see just how they have gone through everything together. And when you see that Batman is putting him in this position because he wants to find out about who's leaking information out, Nightwing just goes along with it, but he's like, oh. So this is how it's going to be on my day off, no less. You let me have my vacation in Arkham. I mean, Matt, when you read this scene, like, how did it play out for you? It was uh, interesting because, yeah, I mean, you can't begin to imagine that, okay, it's, it's the Joker. And then when they do that reveal of, you know, you can take your the, the mask off, basically, and you're like, ah, okay. And I like the, the cleverness of getting to see some of these newer Bat gadgets as well because at the end of the day, Batman is all about his his gadgets and his prep time. And so to start to introduce some things like this, I, I was pretty stoked. Yeah. Tom, I mean, how about you? I mean, on top of that, the new uh, contacts that Bruce was rocking, you know, the, the yeah. Instabat computer in his head. Yeah. I mean, I want one of those two of them at least. Oh, absolutely. Like just the gadgets they did throughout this entire series was just so next level. And it really showed about how, when you're doing a new 52 and you're doing a big reset of a classic character, you have to modernize them to the times. And I thought a lot of the bat technology we saw through their entire run, but let alone here, really exemplified that point that this is not the same old Batman that you've seen from the Adam West shows or you know even the Tim Burton movies. This is a completely new Batman that has a fresh take and really understands about thinking in the future. And that is something that kind of lingers around this entire story. Because what Batman does is his real day job, so to speak, is being Bruce Wayne and how he wants to re-envision Gotham City. That he has his whole plan laid out about making Gotham into a city of tomorrow. Much like in almost in the same vein of Metropolis, but indifferent with respect to the past. And this is something that throughout their entire run, I think they've done this beautiful love story to Gotham City. And especially with this arc is just like this is like the initial meeting between Gotham and Bruce at this stage because Bruce is established at this point. There isn't the whole zero year that they do later, which is a brilliant take two, which we'll definitely be talking about at some point. But to see what he does here and how he presents his vision of Gotham. I mean, Matt, when you saw this and like and you knew when he's trying to do this, like what kind of feelings did you get when you saw that he has a new vision of Gotham? Well, I mean, first things first, it's very easy for everyone to kind of forget the Bruce Wayne persona when it comes to Batman, right? Uh, far mm -hmm. often we see people being like, they focus too heavy on one side or the other. And so when they kind of remind us that, no, Batman at the end of the day is Bruce Wayne. His goal is to better the city. And his plan to do that is to make this futuristic city of tomorrow. And he has the means and the money to do so. And he's a very public figure that people listen to. Yeah, I'm... Thank you. Thank you. Somebody finally brought that back to the forefront. Yeah. 
I mean, Tom? I think it was just a really fun and smart idea to be able to do this. And you really do see that Bruce is pushing himself out there with being Bruce Wayne, not just being Batman. You know, he can be multifaceted both day and nighttime. It really is a nice way to get the backstory, especially with the whole idea that he's really wanting to build this off of his, what his dad used to say to him, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just one dream away. And he's using that as the start of his initiative to really get things going, to try and reinvigorate the city. Mm -hmm. And one person that really catches this idea, but obviously whenever you're dealing with politics, it's always a messy situation is one Lincoln March. And when he comes there, you know that he's trying to get Bruce Wayne's public's vote, which Bruce has always really strayed away from for the most part. I think, honestly, the only time I've ever seen him do anything like that is for Harvey Dent when he was running for district attorney Mm -hmm. way back when. But he's usually stayed away from the political side of things. And But Bruce is really kind of trying to make a little headway here with Lincoln and just trying to say, like, this is my vision of tomorrow. Like, what do you think of this? And, you know, Lincoln is trying to schmooze a little bit and say, well, you know, if you give me my vote, I might be able to hook something up for you. So they start building on this. But when this is all going on, it triggers a reaction from something that Batman struggles to understand. Because the one running joke that I think every comic fan has had is if you give him enough prep time, he can take over the world (laughs) and worlds, go into different companies, take over their universes. He's Batman. He thinks that he knows everything. Oh, yeah. But what he doesn't realize is there's a whole different group that has been running Gotham that's allowed him to be Batman the entire time. And we get the introduction of one of the greatest rogues of all time. And this is the Court of Owls. So, Matt, when you saw the Court of Owls debut here, and especially knowing that Batman's rogues are arguably the greatest of all time. How do you think of a new debut like this is going to really impact the story? Uh, I mean, it's kind of like a reverse Batman in a way, right? There, you have the talent, you know, Talon who is on par with strength, and yeah, of course, he has the whole you know can't die thing, and he is already dead. But like, like Bruce Wayne has money. The Court of Owls is also backed by politicians, and they have money too, and so it's really for the first time you're seeing Batman and Bruce challenged on both fronts. Normally or Batman has to be challenged. Yeah. But I mean, at this point you're really seeing both sides of the coin. He's matched very evenly. And uh, this is without a doubt. I mean, my, my, one of my favorite stories and probably my favorite, you know, rogue of all time for Batman. I don't think rogue as the word is prop is the, Really yeah, I agree with that. Fills it. I would say syndicate, possibly. Good call. Um, I, I would say conglomerate, especially considering how much old money they're sitting on top of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're just so influential that it really was, a, a, and even a subculture in and of itself, if you really think about it, considering all the pomp and circumstance we see them go through with the uh, using the particular knives and having this uh, audacious uh manner in which they would decorate their places and you know we go through and we see eventually that they keep building and building and making more owl nests Mm -hmm. and each one is a reflection of its times yeah i mean to make a big splash like this out the gate it's almost like a risky move because you think with a creative team just jumping in and you're debuting a brand new character and then you have to factor in where do they rank with some of the greatest villains or antagonists of all time because with batman you think about the joker you think the penguin two-face the list goes on and on and on bookworm kite man calendar man i mean yeah i mean just to see the 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 deep depth chart of where you know a foe ranks for him and then let alone to give it the personal touch the court of owls does because when they see Bruce is making moves to change Gotham, well, they don't want this to happen. And they start basically calling their shot with a murder to start planting a mystery against Bruce and cause a little dissent because when a landlord is killed, you think it's a meaningless death here. 
but it turns out it's just the start of a match that's going to explode further as we go on the story. Because what we find out is, as Bruce does his detective work, which I really love how Scott was focusing on this with the writing, he starts checking underneath the fingernails for DNA. Mm -hmm. And he has to run it through his back computer. And sure enough, when it comes up to be a certain person, I think everybody kind of took back and said, all right, wait, what's going on here? Because who did that person turn out to be? Oh, that was Nightwing. Yeah, Dick Grayson. So once this is happening, you go, okay, they're planting the seeds here of deceit. They're also calling their shot against Bruce. And it leads, through him doing his detective work, to a meeting with Lincoln. And then we see firsthand the talent show up. So, Matt, when you see this scene in the high-rise, because this is really an impactful moment, too, where Bruce is seeing the enemy firsthand. What is going through your mind when you're reading these pages? Uh, well, I mean, it's a great introduction for a villain, right? Because he catches him in broad daylight. Nobody ever does that. you know, And it mm -hmm. also catches them off guard. Again, that's not something that happens to Bruce Wayne or Batman. And he gets kicked out his own high-rise. And... He even makes a quip like, I can't go too hard, you know? And so he tries to go soft at first and realizes that there's something more at play. And then I really see the battle of wits. Yeah, you, you might have like used X, Y, and Z against me. However, at the end of the day, I know this city and I know how to fall. And you can see he's still, he thinks he's one step ahead, which obviously is going to mm -hmm. turn out to not be the case at all. But it's, it's a very great introduction because it kind of gives you that, oh, dang. Like nobody gets to jump on Batman or Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Tom? Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, knowing the fact that, you know, in this particular scene where he is falling, we get to see it in two different two different lights. One of in the fact of when it's happening, and then we get the, as I always like to say, the Boondock Saints version of getting back to it and seeing it from another perspective. So knowing how Bruce survives it is also just incredible as well and how it ties back into the story and all the other things and characters that we're going to learn as we go through this. Another thing that you absolutely hit on was the idea of how divisive it was bringing in the Court of Owls. Now, uh, you know, everybody, most people know here by now, I would hope, that I am the new guy to reading all these comics. But I remember when they hit back in, you know, uh, the early 2012. 2012, you know, and hearing about it in 2011, that I'm like, no, no, thank you. There, 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 <laughs> I, there's plenty. There's a good, there's a bat Rolodex full of baddies. I mean, do we need more? And oh, Batman's got another oh, villain. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I mean, that's almost a running joke because it's like when you make a debut like this, you need him to stand on that same level. Oh, yeah. You can't have somebody debut and it just falls flat. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much pressure on doing this, but it's so intricate to really defining something that, I personally haven't seen since Nightfall with Batman. Mm. I thought with Scott's writing and Greg's art with their entire run, they did this amazing love story to Gotham City, but they also put the fear back into the bat. Oh, and, most definitely. And we haven't seen that, at least in my opinion. This is not a shot at any writers. But to really see him on his heels, really paranoid, really not knowing and, and showing self-doubt, Honestly, I haven't seen that since he got his back broke by Bane. Don't he, say that three times fast. He, he was not only just on his heels, but he was also so in his head. Yeah. How we saw it on the page from his perspective was just jaw-dropping. I mean, eventually when we talk about the labyrinth, there's so much beautiful things. Like, even though they're a little on the horror side, I wouldn't mind putting them up on my walls. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I think just how beautiful this whole series was was drawn by Greg, and especially to like the fight sequences really capture that you know intense momentum too. Especially when he's going out the window, he has Talon in a chokehold, and he's crashing right through. And then to make the adjustment about how to prepare for falling, and then Talon winds up disappearing. And this is something that you're starting to see the slow cracks in Batman's confidence. He's like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Because at the end of the day, he is somebody that's very scientific. He's in somebody that wants reason. He can't just handle regular supernatural powers. I mean, that's never really been a strong suit. But as you see, as they're progressing forward, you're seeing the court has now decided to take out Bruce Wayne and really put the full court press on him. So when Bruce is starting to investigate as Batman, 
they lure him into a trap because once he starts figuring about the safe houses they put around the city, and this is right around issue number five of the run, and you see one of the coolest art techniques used because in the middle of the issue where you see Batman is in a labyrinth under the city, they flip everything upside down. So when you're seeing this visual happen, Matt, where do you what's going through your head as you're seeing him really get tested and really broken? Well, first of all, when I was reading this, I was like, who who printed these upside down? Like what are we doing? I thought you know, <laughs> but no, it's it's one of the you never see Batman vulnerable like this. So when he's like I have to stay in the shadows because they can't see me, you're like, dang. Batman himself yeah. finally feels fear. That's not something you have like since Nightfall, like you said. He has never seen that before to a degree, especially in this new run. And so right off the bat, we're just injecting so much fear into Batman. These, these fight scenes are heavy, but they're fast. And he's just getting psychologically tortured because it had been eight days to this point. He has no food, no water. He's like, I know I shouldn't drink the water, but I need to drink the water. And he's just torn to shreds at this point. Yeah. I mean, you can see the image on the screen right now. I mean, this is really when he's broken and, he has to just drown out the court's torture of him to, to redefine like the confidence feeling himself lose because when he loses, he knows he's losing Gotham and what he it, can't afford to do that. What I really like with what's here on the screen, a lot of people, if you really take a look here, look at the cowl. Mm -hmm. You know, it does show the dichotomy of Batman right there mm -hmm. in his present state because you do have that one side of the cowl with a broken eye and it is representing him being broken itself and on the flip side how hard he is trying to keep it together to be batman at the same time yeah and i love the subtlety here with the artwork too because you can see about how when his mask is getting broken how greg shows just the slow crack starting in his left eye and how that slowly starts working over and you see the how weathered he becomes during this fight too because when he thinks that he's all all but dead he somehow miraculously pulls himself out of this and he taps into that inner psyche of his own to really fight back and really stand up to what Talon does because Talon is hitting him with everything he has and more or less the court is just standing over him and almost like in a in just such a bizarre manner too like they're almost like they're watching above and just you know acting like they're gods of Gotham mm -hmm. you know JJ is absolutely right that this whole story does really make Gotham more of its own character itself you know, they always say in TV and, and film that New York is New York and L.A. are their own characters that they happen to have people in. Mm -hmm. This one really brings Gotham to the forefront as well. Yeah. And especially seeing about how the court has been there for years or decades, rather centuries. Mm -hmm. They have been there since the 1600s and how they've been so intricate into building Gotham that anything that challenges that ideal they're not going to stand for because they have their own vision of Gotham that they don't want to change. And it's almost kind of also reflective of just how the DC universe was to where it was going and just the fight that was happening there. It was very reflective of the whole new 52 movement in a little bit. If you want to go to that level with it, because at the time we as comic fans, either we grow up and we really enjoy the old stories or we want to see something new and modernized. And it's always that conflict too especially with characters that we've grown up with and just seeing like, can they keep doing the same tropes over and over? Right. Or do we want to see the evolution here? And I think what they really nailed here is showing how Batman still is Batman at the end of the day. He finds a way to will himself to win because that's been his entire persona that he feels he has to be the best because he needs to be the best for everybody else, not even himself. So when you see this and he finally makes the break and he defeats Talon in one of the craziest scenes you've seen. And he now goes back to the Batcave broken, but he knows they're coming after him. Like, this is a moment that I think, Matt, it really stood out to say, like, okay, you've given me your best shot. I'm still standing. I, I'm making a plan as we go. Time is not on my side, but you're still dealing with Batman. I mean, how did you feel when this was all happening? Right. And so to, to walk it back for a second, when we talk about the art contrast, so when Talon has the upper hand, right, it's, we see him drawn bigger than Batman almost in certain aspects. And then when they flip the script, like Greg, what he does turning Batman into a monster, he has now unleashed mm -hmm. that in, you know, inner beast, quote unquote, sounds kind of cliche, but like he really does. And so being drawn as that larger than life 
creature that you know batman is seen as to a lot of people was magnificent and then you can just see his brain kick into overdrive he goes back to the bat cave and they're like dude is he resting how much you know how much did you give him and they're like what alfred's like enough but i know to be careful and then we still see bruce like no i, I can't rest this is this is a serious serious thing i've been gone eight days but we cannot sleep now things just got serious and it's like all right batman's back and you love that moment it's a triumphant moment that kind of gets you like cheering yeah tom oh it, it it's all just wonderful how it's leading up to you know the fight at home to see how batman he, he just goes from one he turns a switch literally you know he goes beast mode bat to gotta get home bat to okay i'm home let's get ready for the next part bat he compartmentalizes so well and that goes to the fact that you know snyder's writing that he's written him so calm and collective as best as he can in the situation mm -hmm. yeah because this is just redefining himself because he has never been hit on this emotional level where his belief and his surroundings have been questioned and challenged like you really see him tested on a manner that is not only physical but mental as well and it's such a cool vision to see because like i say we always see batman standing up to dark side and forces that he has no right standing up to. But yet, he still finds a way to be as confident as ever. To see him broken like this, that his vision of Gotham and his world that he knows is taken away from him. It's such an insane moment to, to envision. And to really see how he is broken, but he still finds that way to win. It just goes to show, I mean, about how much heroics he has with him. And then when immediately he's like, I should be resting. I should be you know, recovering. I don't have time to. And he understands the gravity of the situation because the court has now exposed themselves. That all their centuries of working behind the scenes have now come to fruition. They're out in the public. And they know the temp in the room too. Because once Talon goes down, who has been somebody that they've kept around for centuries, doing some very unique things to keep him alive too. Which, I mean, Tom, how did you think about their whole process of keeping people alive? The, the whole process of their stasis or however they were being held or contained or winter soldiered, you know, mm. you know, for lack of a phrase, was quite interesting. And if you do get a chance to read some of the um, hardback volumes, you'll see that there's a, a little side story in there with um, one of Batman's, you know, most more famous modern rogues, uh, you know, Victor Freeze. It was really interesting, and I think it was a great way. You know, they've lasted this long to make their enforcers last this long. Shows the longevity and the forethought that the owls do have in the long run, obviously. Yeah, Matt, how about you? Yeah, it shows that uh, this isn't just a whim. You know, it's a plan that they've had in place for such a long time. They have backup plans, just like Batman, backup plans to backup plans. Again, it's that match of wits, and it's mm. something that, you know, we kind of what I, what I think I love about this a lot is we kind of have to use more of the brain side of things. We know Batman's strong. We know he's a good fighter. And so to see both sides playing this really cool chess game on the pages and that that you think Talon's defeated, you're like, oh, that's, that's going to wrap up this little run. OK, but it doesn't because they open up that room and there's just dozens more, you know, ready to go. And then they unleash them onto the city. It's just like dang this is yeah legit next level oh my god yeah they they had the ultimate backup plan because as they've had a room full of coffins they've had talons waiting in the wings to unleash and especially with how they almost manipulated bruce's great-grandfather alan wayne into setting up these rooms that when they thought that their rule over gotham is in danger they enact everybody because once william cobb who is the original talent is defeated they send everybody to the bat or to wayne manor to the bat cave and for well, note a group of owls is commonly known as a parliament oh well thank you for knowing something that's really cool is you know when batman thinks he's won right he's like i killed your best i've won and they, they just kind of show up at the end they're like wow that batman guy's kind of tough huh and they just didn't seem phased i didn't catch it then but upon like reading it again recently i was like oh yeah you can kind of see that they were they weren't phased at all and there were hints right there that okay there's more at play and i didn't pick up on that in the first read 
Oh, they they have absolute narcissistic audacity. I mean, like oh, yeah. I said, they come from that old money. So they are literally thinking they are untouchable. Mm-hmm. And they can't handle taking a loss here because when they attack Wayne Manor, they think that they have Batman dead to rights. And they are underestimating him. Even in his weakened state, he still has one X factor with him that will always help him, and that's Alfred. Alfred in the mech suit, man. Alfred suits yep. up is one of the most badass Alfred moments of comic book history, in my opinion. Agreed. The, th- the Thrasher suit specifically. Yes. I thought yes. it was the Hellbat at first, but it's called the Thrasher suit. And don't forget, on the flip side, as many talents that were attacking Wayne Manor, Batman literally put out the family bat signal and everybody and their brother was out there fighting too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw Red Robin, we saw Tim, we saw Dick, we saw Damien. Uh, Batgirl. Batgirl. We saw, uh, spoiler, mm-hmm. was it? Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing too that's the unsung story of the Bat family. And, and even at, at this moment, it's very unsung. However, what happens there in the is. next story is a complete different. Yeah, look at that amazing suit of armor. Greg it's outdid himself with amazing. that design too. Just that moment, you you have that, oh, my God, we, things just went to – business just picked up, if I can use the wrestling term. Yes. And he's just ready for business. And all those talents, I mean, even though they're undead, it doesn't matter. They all know that they are in trouble because as they're freezing the, the Batcave off, mm-hmm. they are completely outmatched by somebody who's, like I say, completely ready to take them out because of, it's an attack on the family. And Batman has always felt Gotham is his family. So when he makes the bat signal call, too, everybody comes running and everybody addresses it, too. And even at this moment, which is a little side story plot that we found out about, is with Dick Grayson because of the DNA. Yes. Which we find out this amazing story that the Talons had been re- been recruited from the Haley Circus, where Dick Grayson was a part of. I love this. And so how, much. oh, yeah, you want to break it down for us, Matt? Yeah, okay. So essentially Dick was supposed to become a Talon. That's that's mm-hmm. that the whole wait, how do you know cuz you think Joker he always steals people's DNA. It's going to be one of those things. They just want Batman his psyche, but no. Dick was supposed to be a Talon. And that's also why you see that um Bruce is kind of hiding him because Nightwing's like I'm tired of you treating me like a kid. And then he's like, I'm treating you this way because you were supposed to be a talent. And then you're just like, what? And then he discusses this, the whole breakdown of the circus. And you're just like, to me, I absolutely love that because it adds so much more depth to what goes down that night and so much more depth into the backstory of, you know, Dick Grayson and Nightwing. And I'm, I love it personally. Yeah. Tom, how about you? Little divisive again. I mean, if, if Bruce was, all knowing and has preps up everything and anything he's just now explaining that dick was supposed to be uh, a, an owl or he couldn't have drugged dick to you know change the freaking molar i mean it, it, it's kind of a for me i think it's a cheap shot see yes and no okay i can understand that point but if you look through the history between bruce and dick bruce has been the overprotective parent and not divulge a lot of truth because he cares about him too much. And it's it's a flaw that he's had. And you can even see this as it goes forward, too. And, they, and in fact, they touch upon it in Death of the Family, which is a, an amazing read. Mm-hmm. Batman's overprotectiveness of the people he loves is always his biggest weakness. Because what he thinks he's doing is right. He's alienating everybody around him. Like I said last week, the road to hell is paved in good intentions. Mm -hmm. And this is the one area that Bruce has never mastered. Of all the training he's done to make himself literally the perfect human being in mind and fighting and and body, this is the one area he continuously fails at. And as much as he makes two steps forward, he winds up getting three steps back eventually. And And I think that that's a great point to his character. And especially like here where he's on the ropes and he has that little bit of mistrust with with Dick, who's always been loyal to him no matter what. He is the true heir to the bat. This is the point where he has to go like, listen, I did this because I care. And and we had to just get through this right now. That's why I never took it seriously about when your DNA was found there. But I know why. 
And once he starts getting the breakdown, it's something that they could go back to if they wanted, but it doesn't really play out like that. I think that's a very interesting idea, uh, Muncie, to do an Elseworlds. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of funny. Like, we'll, That'd be we'll wild. A blue suit, and instead of like using guns like Thomas did, maybe he'll have like a, a sword or something. You know, very very proper, very British. I'm all in for that. I need that story to happen. I'd take it in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, just Alfred being Batman, just running around the city crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, give it to me. I am so here for that. <laughs> but it, it kind of plays into what happens here because once the Bat family unites, Bruce also puts together the mystery of Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And this one, I will say, and I'll, we'll save this for you know when we do our you know the good, the bad, and the you know what happened here. I thought this was a little telegraphed, if I have to say, because of how much Lincoln looked like like Bruce. Yes, thank you. Like, let's just put it out there on the first freaking page. Yeah, like when we see Lincoln March first meet Bruce Wayne, it was almost like looking into a mirror. And Matt, I mean, I don't know if you felt the same way here, but I thought that this was the only point that was like really telegraphed, that there was more Lincoln than meets the eye. Well, they drew him very similarly, right? They're, they're, mm-hmm. The chin, the the build, everything was down to a T. And it's almost like, why is he so invested in Bruce? You know, I like you can get it. Yeah, like there's, there's clearly, you're right, telegraphed because, yeah, he should be interested in his vote. But there was something more there. And again, they were very, very similarly drawn. That was kind of like something they kept referring to old family and all this old hidden things. And you're like, all right, I, I kind of can see where this is going. Well, finding out that, you know, Lincoln was technically or is or questionably, I mean, because it's still kind of up in the air the way they wrote in that, I like that way, um, that if Lincoln is, you know, Thomas Wayne Jr., um, making him younger than Bruce, what's fun about it is the fact that if you, the whole idea of the vote out of it, Mm -hmm. he was just looking for his big brother's approval. Ooh, that's a good good point. Yeah, because it, it turns out that the story Lincoln's trying to say is he's Thomas Wayne Jr. And this has all been to get back at his brother. And it's an interesting ploy. Like I say, it was a very big swerve, especially when you think about the plane scene that happens around here too, mm-hmm. which is one of the coolest action sequences Greg has done. And like I say, there's so many moments where you see Greg's art where he just amplifies a scene that could just be a throwaway, and it just takes it to a whole different level. I mean, that's just something he does in his sleep. I mean, that's why he's one of the best to ever do it. And when you see this moment where they have the meeting and you're seeing that Thomas is breaking it down and Bruce at this point is like, I don't believe you no matter what you're saying. The court of Alice has been sitting here trying to manipulate me left and right. And this is after he goes and confronts what we think is the head of the court of Owls mm-hmm. too, in a very cool elevator scene and entrapping them and basically saying, I hope you like the view. You're going to be seeing this for a long time. Like, just such a classic moment. And then to go right into the big standoff, too, where he has to go and more or less fight somebody that is claiming to be a family member, which is something he's always longed for. Right. I mean, to see how this builds up with the emotion, I think they just really hit it right on the head to where you see when Batman finally defeats him once and for all. And how he goes through, and even in the post, where I thought they let every, the Scott really pace this out well. Because you have that build that keeps going until the confrontation and the fight. And then when it turns out, you know, Bruce gets the upper hand, he defeats the Court of Owls because he's taken out every member they have. And he's taken the talents out and he's taken his quote-unquote little brother out. That little part of the story where he's talking with Dick about everything. Mm -hmm. I thought they capped it off very well because he breaks it down much like Bruce does. He investigates everything. And going through this moment, too. Like I say, you can see the art on the screen there and how deranged the talent is, you you know, as Thomas Wayne Jr. This plays into just such an emotional moment, too, that when you have that stink in that, like, the Corvallis could have been actually working Bruce's family the entire time. I mean, Matt, when you're seeing all this happen and then when you finally get the payoff at the end, like, what is your emotions as you're reading this? They lay the the seeds a little bit, right, because they're, you see Bruce kind of like, boy, he became obsessed as a kid with the Court of Owls because he needed a villain. He couldn't believe that his family was just gunned down senselessly in the alleyway. And so to 
they kind of drop that, but then to tie it all in at the end to be like, oh, okay. So yeah, they could have been working. Is this guy crazy? They kind of leave it open-ended for your imagination. It kind of works for what they're telling in the sense of Bruce Wayne comes from old Gotham money. The Court of Owls are old Gotham money. Yeah, it would make sense that they're the two are very tied throughout history in Gotham's history down to a T. So for me, it made sense. And uh, I don't really have a problem. I, I enjoyed what they were doing with this with this storyline. Tom, how about you? I'm 100% on board with it. Again, I, I have my gripe about what, you know, little things here and there. But as a whole, I think, you know, this is almost on par, if not better than, you know, sometimes the, the plot twist like we've gotten in Hush. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, it's a different caliber, but it's along the same line. It's a parallel. You know how you would look at design. Just look at that. Yeah, I mean the artwork, top to bottom. Yeah, like it's it's cinema. I mean, honestly. Oh yeah. And and to see how this is this is just like one big movie that plays out, and especially like in that moment too, where you're seeing just how Bruce is just fighting, and like I say, it's even like the little subtle things where he's bleeding, and you know he's wounded, and yet he's still progressing forward. I mean, it's it's the spirit of the bat, to be honest with you. And even, like I say, when he has that moment where there's a question of doubt, he slams it shut, he never looks back. That he's like, no, my I know what my mother was doing the entire time at Arkham. I know that you know whoever this is was brainwashed to think that he was my brother, but it didn't match up. And he leaves it there. And like I say, he really ties up with this nice moment to cap everything off where everything just comes full circle that it's a new beginning in Gotham now. Because he thinks he's gotten rid of the court, which I mean, it's comics. Let's face it. Unless you're uh, Ben <laughs> Parker, truly dead. you're never dead. <laughs> ben Parker, thus far, true. Which I, if look, he comes back, I'm just that's a whole different ball. I'm just glad in a story about bloodlines that uh, Jimmy Uso did not show up to ruin the fight at the end. <sighs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Dick you shows up. Tom- and- gets in the middle of the fight and you're just like well, what are you doing yeah i know the, the wrestling talk is now taken over but yes but like you imagine though if, if just dick grayson jumped to the court of owls well like, that, here, here's a cool thing so court of owls was so influential that it has gone over to other media mm-hmm. you know back during the last run running up to justice league dark apocalypse war part two all those 17 films there were six of them that were spent in Gotham and one of them, Batman and Robin really relied on heavily about Damien being sucked into the court. Um, we saw it again, even on broadcast TV, they really, really went hard with the old money Gotham on Gotham mm-hmm. itself. And I know the new Gotham Knights game, yeah, whatever that game happened. Yeah. And we'll leave that at that. Yep. No, I mean, Matt, let's talk about it because I, I, we can kind of get into, like, that was the stuff we really loved about the story. But, like, what do you think was the impact of the Court of Owls now? Like, looking back at it, you know, almost a decade later. God, that's so weird to say. It's crazy. I, I mean, it is a decade later. I mean, it's 2023. This kicked off 2012. So, I mean, the impact, it's it's what I think it drew a lot of people into Batman and then it. Because you hear a lot of people that are always like, oh, there's always a Batman tale. There's always a Batman tale. I think we can draw it back to this point right here because Batman, I think, hit a next level of popularity in comic books from the Court of Owls being as strong as it was. Going back to creating Gotham as its very own entity to to revitalizing the character almost at a time when, you know, the the middle 2000s were kind of lacking in comic books so i feel like the impact on the character the impact on comic books it's pretty profound and this this it's still there today oh absolutely i think yeah. i think the court of owls just made such an impactful debut and really solidified any questions fans had about what snyder and capullo were going to wind up doing with this run they hit the ground running they took a, a big risk by introducing a, a brand new property that fans honestly could not have connected with. They could have just said, okay, this doesn't make any sense and just really you know, ran away from it. But it's to the strength of Scott's writing about putting the fear into Batman. And I think that that's why fans really you know, circled around oh, yeah. this story. That I think that we finally had Batman broken, as crazy as that sounds. But we haven't seen this in such a long time that it was almost refreshing because he had just come off the Grant Morrison run, which... 
Grant does Grant, and it's a it's a completely different you know apples and oranges mm-hmm. when you're talking about you know Grant Morrison writing to Scott, and when you see this play out, and just the impact of like this run, like Batman can be defeated, he can be broken, but he has to find that second gear to go. How long can he do this? And especially with the happy ending that happens at the end, where you truly have the rebirth of Batman. I think it just really solidified about, you know, where the series was going to go and how impactful it was going to be and just really how fans were longing for this Batman to show up. Like, I always say, for me, this is my Batman. Like, when somebody describes Batman, I always go, it's Snyder and Capullo's because it had the perfect blend of what you love about Batman and it took away the stuff you don't like about him. Like, for me, I can never handle that he's invincible. Yeah, it just doesn't process. He, he can't be. He's he's by far the guy with the money. Mm-hmm. That's all he's really going to be. He's got the brains. He's got the money. He's not. He doesn't have invulnerable skin. He doesn't have laser eyes. He doesn't phase. He doesn't do this. At the end of the day, he is. You take that suit off. He's still a guy with the big brain. Yeah, but of how he makes himself. I mean, he's he's the he's the most DIY character though of all of comics, because literally. He wills himself to learn. He wills himself to do this. When his, the tragedy happens, he can go away. And even when he tried becoming an early detective, and I know we skipped over this part, but it's such a very cool couple quick panels about when he goes investigating about the Court of Owls because he's always heard it was a ghost story. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that that's the, the people that were behind his parents' death, which honestly, it, they could, could still be. be. They could still be. But when he locks himself in the attic for a week, you know, when he's researching, like, I just think like when you see this get brought out, I just think it adds so much of, of depth to the character and just really gave fans just something that we've been waiting for. And then when we go on through the arcs after, I mean, this is like the definitive run that captures everything that you love about Batman, the tragic hero, but the one that refuses to give up on his true love. And that's Gotham and the people in it. So, the I mean, that said... Yeah. Oh, oh, go right ahead, man. I'm sorry. I was going to say, you're you're right. His true love is Gotham. The lengths he is willing to go is on full display in this run right here when he's in the labyrinth, when, you know, he's just beaten and being and it. Like you said, man, I mean, we get to see this Batman that's very vulnerable. There are times when you're like, he might die. Are they going to kill Batman off for a period of time in the comic books right now? Is like, this going to happen? Obviously yeah. It does not. But for a second there, it makes you think that they might just do it because everything is on the table in this run and they are not afraid to take any risks. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've talked about a lot of the good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was there anything that we said was really that we didn't love about this? I shouldn't say bad because obviously art is interpreted to everybody. Like I said, going back to the whole subplot about, you know, Dick being, you know, cultivated to become an owl. That's one thing. Um, again, there was also a lot of other ancillary stories that you're more than welcome to go out and read on your own, but sticking to where we're at right now, honestly, I think that just the fact of the thing with Dick and then, yeah, that's really my only, you know, uh, bat shark repellent. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Matt, how about you? I would say, you know, the, the only thing I could have done without is maybe, having him also be a Wayne, you know, Lincoln be a Wayne. Like that's just, Mm. that's, that's if you're looking, that's a very big reach. I'm reaching with, you know, all my six foot four body to reach for something that I don't like. Um, So it's, it's very minor. I could have done without it, but again, it also makes you think that like, yeah, it does work. So I didn't really have anything that was like, nah, I could have left that because to me, this is near perfect. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I think the only thing I didn't like it was that it ended, to be yeah, honest. With yeah. you. I, I, <laughs> I literally was like, I, I could just read years of this because for what it did at that time, it too. And especially for fans that have been turned off by Batman, this brought people back to Batman. Mm-hmm. And especially like for me, I was never that big into Batman before. Like I thought it was a cool character, but when you're treated on the same level of Superman fighting the same villains as Superman, it just something about, you know, the aesthetics just don't match up. Even though 
I think one of the greatest Batman moments of all time was the Justice League uh, JLA series with Grant Morrison and Howard Porter, where they're fighting the Martian invasion and they leave Batman alone. And the one uh, leader is like, why did you leave him alone? He's the most dangerous one of them all. I think that like that's where that mythos became. But right. to see it brought back to such a grounded level here, and especially debuting with, you know, just having a great rogues gallery. I, I, I would say the only thing maybe I, I would wanted more, like the Lincoln reveal I thought worked for what they were trying to do, and, and, and that's cast out. I thought it was a little telegraphed, but I'm not taking any points away for that because the rest of the story picked up because you wanted to make a big show about reminding Batman about why he matters so much. He did that. And I think maybe the only thing I would have done or like to see more is more of a deep dive into the court because it kind of seemed like we got right to the end of the head members and they were like one and done. So, but that also leaves the door open to come back later to them, which I mean, the court has appeared here and there throughout DC. I don't doubt them appearing yet again because it's hard to get rid of the owls. I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind seeing a prequel series. Um, God, if you know, Snyder and Capullo could actually come back and add to their own world. You know, I'm down for interpretation, but if we could really get that on there, that'd be amazing. Oh, absolutely. So that being said, that is Court of Owls by the Nerd Initiative Bullpen. But before we send you out of here, you know tomorrow is day. So Matt, why don't you list off what are you looking to pick up on new comics? comic book day at your local comic shop absolutely so talking dc of course the night terrors run is going to be getting ready to wrap up here this month in august so those are always in my pools however i do have a a, a couple that i want to add so boom has a really great run um they have a new series coming out mech oh my god i just blanked on the mech name cadets. Was, yes mech well, i don't know i'm the one who read it um i don't know you why know i read it I, <laughs> oh i've, I've got that one circled on my pull list Yes, uh, if you are a fan of like Saturday morning cartoons, you like things like Pacific Rim, for example, then this is definitely going to be one that I think people are going to enjoy. And uh, so that's another really, really big one on on my list. So be on the lookout for those. All right, Tom. We live again. Gargoyles, Dark Ages, number seven coming out tomorrow. Yeah. Trust me, my, my millennial Disney nut is going crazy right now. Especially, we're just getting more in the franchise. We've been begging for it for years. And even if it's in paper form, I'll take it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Pad, Padawan J from the ODPH loves that series. And he too. raves about it all the time. So that's great. All, all great picks. I mean, for me... Man, there's a lot coming out at the comic shops. Uh, there's one from Marvel Comics, though, that has jumped out to me a little bit. And it's Children of the Vault. And it's written by Dennis Camp. And if you haven't read his stuff, amazing things. It's very intense reading. Uh, if you've ever picked up 20th Century Men by Image Comics, Bloodshot Unleashed, which is one of my favorite Valiant series of all time, Valiant Entertainment. The fact that Dennis is going to be writing something in the X-Men universe, I'm all in for. So I can't wait to check this series out. The Fall of X is taking place right now. So coming off the heels of the Hellfire Gala, it's going to be fun times for comic readers at the shops. Everything the X-Men line is doing right now coming out of that is just looking like absolute money to me. So I give that a high recommendation. I know JJ's in the chat. Damn Them All by Boom Studios. If you like the supernatural Constantine kind of vibe, this series is for you. It's awesome. It is one, they're coming back after hiatus. Uh, so the first six issues are out right now. You can go get them at your local comic shops. And issue number seven is dropping. I can't wait to see what insanity happens with Ellie Hawthorne and just the world that is that book it is truly one of the coolest reads you're going to pick up at the shops. Also, one of my personal favorites from Boom is coming out, House of Slaughter number 16. If you haven't read this series, if you are fans of Something is Killing the Children, which you should be, it's one of the best books out, period. This is an anthology-style story um, where they spotlight certain characters of the Order of St. George. So they're starting up a brand-new arc. It's very easy to jump in and catch up on. The work they do, they always rotate creative teams, too. Boom kills it with the series, no pun intended. And this has been some of the best uh, stuff at the shelves, bar none. So... Definitely a lot of stuff to be excited for. I know Kaya number 10 is coming out too from Image Comics, Wes Craig. I know uh, Marty from the Nerd Initiative Bullpen is going to be talking about that. There's so much win at the shops this week. So 
We definitely oh, yeah. are recommending a lot of stuff. If you need to go somewhere for it on New Comic Book Day, you're not sure where to look, nerdinitiative.com. We have got reviews dropping left and right of your favorite publishers, so you definitely want to make sure you're checking that out. Hit that QR code. Speaking of QR codes, did you know we're doing a giveaway? Are we doing a giveaway? Did we talk about this last week? I think we did. We're doing a Matt, giveaway. Are we ready? I think we are doing a giveaway. So last week... And thank you to everybody who checked us out. We set some record numbers here on the Nerd Initiative YouTube channel, so we can't do that without you. We are doing a giveaway of Secret Invasion by Marvel Comics. So let alone do you get the entire series. You get the Gabriel Delato variant, the 1 in 100 variant. Just for clicking on the QR code, signing up for the Nerd Initiative YouTube or I'm sorry, the, the newsletter. I'm, I'm getting so wound up because, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the chat light up about YouTube right now. But simple, on the YouTube screen, you click on that, boom, and you sign right up for the newsletter. You find out everything going on with Nerd Initiative because if you think we're on doing stuff right now, <laughs> wait till you see what we have lined up for the rest of the year of 2023. We're like the Court of Alice, just doing things in the background. Yes, this is very, very true. shadows. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I'm Batman. Indeed. So if you're not checking that code out, you definitely want to make sure you click on that. Sign up for the newsletter, and then you can enter in a chance to win free comics. Free. Like, I I, I don't know how else we can just say it. Free. It's free. Yes. And, and let alone, I can see some people are clicking right now. I love seeing that in the chat. So you definitely want to make sure you're hitting that. Sign up for the newsletter. It is just our way of saying thank you for checking the show out, spread the word about the show because, you know, we are always taking comic story ideas that you have we can break down for you. Plus, we're going to be having some creators on very, very shortly. We can't reveal that just yet. Nope. But stay tuned to Nerd Initiative. Make sure you drop that follow on the YouTube channels and make sure you're following us on your respective social media. So, Matt, why don't you tell the fine folks how they can find you and everything going on with Hopsies News? Absolutely. So easiest way to do it is just search Hops Geek News, whether it's podcasting platform, whether it's social media. This week, we had our Blue Beetle graduation day episode with the writer himself, Josh Trujillo. He has joined us. Uh, fantastic, fantastic interview, if I may say so myself. Check that out. And uh, it yeah. is. It's amazing. He's a he's a wonderful human being. So do that. Check out Blue Beetle graduation day. And then, uh, yeah, follow us. Hops Geek News, man. It's the easiest thing you could possibly do. And I believe Matt has, or um, Josh has another book out this week too, an actual book uh, book. He does. So it comes out August 15th. However, my review is out now on uh, nerdinitiative.com. If you want to read it, Washington's Gay General, The Legends and Loves of Baron Von Steuben. If you don't know, uh, Baron Von Steuben was an unofficial founding father in a way. He was the one who revitalized our military during the American Revolution without him we probably would not have won the Revolutionary War. And uh, as a history buff, me personally, it was a really great read. It's a graphic novel that details his life. Um, and it goes into the backstory of what we don't know is he was actually, a, you know, he was a queer man back in the 1700s when it was kind of taboo. And so they do a really great job of weaving in their very personal stories of how they were had to come out with von Steuben, who was also ostracized and just the foundations of America were built upon you know, this taboo kind of subject. And it is such a beautiful, tragic story And it. The research that went into this, this graphic novel, it, it takes like 30 minutes to read, pick it up on the 15th of August. I promise you, you will not be disappointed in this book. Absolutely. Matt's review has got me sold on this. I definitely need to check this book out. Tom, why don't you tell the fine folks where they can find you? Well, you guys can find me everywhere. I've got all my links and everything should be popping up. Boom, right there. There it is. Uh, I've got I've got some other reviews and stuff coming out this week. Um, anybody who might be doing watching shows like this, you're in for a good treat. Um, other than that, I, yeah, just find me everywhere you can. I got the the IRL stuff that's keeping me busy, so I'm trying to get back as best I can here on the on the the west. So this is the first foray. Absolutely. And for me and everything going on with the ODPH, it's very simple, odphpodcast.com. Right there, click the QR code. After you go, click on for the free comics. I'm just trying to push that. But if you want to interact with me, Padawan J, and the rest of our team, we are right there. It's easy to find. And if you're not sure how to get there, it's simple. You go to nerdinitiative.com. You can click on the link for the ODPH. It's right there on the front page. And boom, that's how you get there. It's so simple. We try making sure it's so interactive for you because we want to build this amazing community of creators and, and fans celebrating the best things about fandoms because condom 
or comics rather are for everybody. <laughs> and the other things are too. Yeah. But <laughs> I had to throw in a joke this to make sure everybody paid attention. This, this is why we do it. This is why we do it live. live. But this is why we do it live, folks. But as we like to end every edition of Turn a Page, remember when you're at the comic shops and you see somebody looking for an issue and they're not sure where to pick up, if you got a great one in your hands, hand it off to them and tell them Turn a Page. See you next time. See you.